But last week, Dave, Dave was saying that he, as a teacher, he found it a bit odd not being able to um, get the children inter to interact with him. And me as a um, former uh, lecturer and so on, I'm, I'm used to being um, an expert. I'm, I'm used to knowing all the answers and always being able to uh, have the correct information. And it made me think about what we are going to do this morning. We're going to talk about what the Lord Jesus Christ said, the Son of God shared with his disciples and with the others there, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Here he is, the Son of God. And now I am going to talk about what he said, what I think he said. Now, I'm humbled by that. And it made me think of uh, Isaiah. Uh, when in Isaiah 6, he says, um, uh, I saw the Lord and his, his robe or his train filled the temple. And I realized that I am a man of unclean lips and I live in a nation of unclean lips. And woe is me. What am I going to do? And the story goes on that he, the angel of the Lord, brought coal and anointed his lips. And he went off and became uh, the spokesman for the Lord. And in a sense, that's what I feel now. I, I can't possibly share what the Lord Jesus Christ meant unless I have an anointing from the Holy Spirit. So what I'd like to do now is just to pray for that and pray for us as a group that we not only am I given an anointing in a way to, to share the God, God's word, but the people who hear me, I've got an anointing to hear what the Lord is saying to them. Because humanly speaking, I have nothing to add to what Jesus has already said. But let's just pray. Our Father, I, I personally am challenged by the thought of, of sharing your word. And, and so often perhaps we take it too lightly that we bandy around the word of God. But Lord, I, so this morning I feel so um, convicted of the need for your anointing upon me and my life and on the, my, fellow, my fellow believers we need your touch, dear Father. We need the Holy Spirit to enlighten your word to us. So we open this morning to you now and say, Father, speak to us through your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, I'm going to talk about Matthew 5, 39 to 42. And when I, when I, when it was months ago, we got this um, I got this verse. These are the verses that were chosen for me to speak about, which is fine. I'm happy about that. But uh, every time I started to think about it, I had kept on sensing that whether it was God saying, yes, but what about going back to verse 20? And, I, and every time I come to it, go back to verse 10, 20. And verse 20 says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And what I understand the Sermon on the Mount is really is talking about uh, a righteousness which does exceed that, but uh, it's an external righteousness. And what we, we now know, this side of the cross, is that we need an internal righteousness. And that can only come through our faith in what happened on that cross 2,000 years ago. And we must remind ourselves that our righteousness is that kind of righteousness which has been given to us not earned in any way. I've received righteousness from Christ by faith, and he gave me that faith, and that's available to all of us. So um, once I've got that off my chest, we all know that. I hope we're all agreeing with that, that, that we need that internal righteousness. 
that, that the righteousness that comes from faith in Christ. Okay, let's just read the, the, the verses that we're talking about this morning. Matthew 5, verse 39 to 42. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take, your, take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go at one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you. And from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Some people have said that this passage is probably one of the most um, challenging passages in the Bible. And there's lots of debate about, um, did Jesus mean literally what he says here, or is there something else? And it gets a bit of a worry when we need, therefore, to put our own minds to it. What did Jesus really mean? And that's where we need the Holy Spirit. Notice, though, that Jesus said, you have heard, you have heard, and they obviously knew that because they were um, uh, disciples. They were disciples of, of the Jewish faith. They they were they fulfilled the law. But he then goes on to say, "But I say," he's saying, "I say." He's making himself to be God, and we knew he's we know he's God. But he's saying, "But I say." Now, I tell you not to resist an evil person. Don't resist an evil person. But they would say, yes, but we know eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And that means the kind of rule of retaliation. And they would know that you were allowed to retaliate. If you look at, um, I was going to show uh, the verse uh, from Exodus 21, 22 to 25. Exodus, if you flick to Exodus 22. It says here, if men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows, he shall be surely be punished accordingly as a woman, woman's husband impose on him and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. The idea of this is retaliation, limit the retaliation. You're not allowed to retaliate severely. And so, when Jesus then comes to say, yes, but I tell you, don't resist an evil man. Don't resist him. And I hope you would then say, yeah, hang on, wait a minute. Uh, James says, you can resist the devil and he will flee from you. So somehow we need to balance that. Why did Jesus say, Res don't resist an evil man? But James then goes on to say, you can resist the devil. Well, if you resist the devil, we, we, we haven't got a chance of resisting the devil, that's for sure. Well, we, uh, we can resist the devil, but 
what Jesus is saying, don't resist an evil person, perhaps to, so that we might, we might win him over? Is that what's going on? So I find that a very difficult one. And this is where we need the Holy Spirit. Each one, I want each one who's hearing this to say, oh, hang on, what is he saying to me in this? The, other, the next bit that is where I think people get the idea of, of pacifism. Uh, Gandhi loves this next bit. He thought it was very good, although he wasn't a believer. I tell you not to resist an even person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. And I, I believe the um, uh, friends, um, Quakers, use this to justify their view on uh, as, uh, as pacifists. But um, the idea of, of turning the other cheek um, it makes me rem I remember a story. I read a story the other day of um, uh, a famous, he was then a famous Irish boxer who became a believer and was out speaking one day and someone challenged him on this and said, hey, you smarty, um, you know, uh, I gather that um, if I hit you on one cheek, you're going to let me hit you on the other one. And he said, yes, uh, he does. The Bible does say that. And so the boy socked him on one cheek and the Irishman apparently turned, turned the other cheek and the, the chap hit him on that other cheek. And then the Irishman proceeded to give him a complete beating. <laughs> so uh, Jesus said, turn the other cheek. After that, there's no other instructions. But, but I don't know if that's true or not either. But the point, interestingly, um, I don't know if you noticed this. Uh, it says, when anybody hits you on the right cheek, now, if you think about it, if you're a right-handed person, and I guess most people are, and I'm not offending any left-handed people around, but most people are right-handed. If you're going to slap someone on the cheek, you would hit them on the left cheek. So that would be, you need to slip, hit them on the right cheek, would have to be a backhander. And apparently in ancient times, a backhanded slap on the cheek was worthy of greater retribution than just an ordinary right-handed uh, right-handed slap on the left cheek. So what Jesus is saying is, I want you to go the extra mile and be more forgiving, show greater grace, more than the, war, the law, greater, that you've got to exceed what the law says. So I don't know what it means about uh, what happens if someone breaks into your house and attacks your wife or your husband. Um, do we retaliate well the natural reaction would be yes we would retaliate to that i think we need to have a little bit of a sense and the guidance of the holy spirit on this one are you challenged by that i most certainly are challenged by what jesus is telling us to do there is people obviously um the bible talks about a just and in it a just war there's a time for war a time for peace so he's not saying just let everybody walk all over you. So I, that's why I'm con concerned and challenged by this, this passage. I can't come up with the real answers to it. But Jesus does say, turn the other cheek. Okay. Now we come to the, the next bit. Um, if anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Now, the background to that um, is in Exodus 22, 26 to 27, which I had up, would have up on my PowerPoint, but can't seem to make it work. Um, 
22, 26, 27. If you, oh, this is from 25. If you lend money to any of my people who are poor among you, you should not be like a money lender to him. You should not charge him interest. If you ever take a neighbor's garment as a pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down, for that is his only covering. It is his garment for his skin. What will he sleep in? And it will be that when he cries out to me, I will hear him, for I am gracious. So this is where the, uh, Jesus was talking about, um, don't, don't, they would have known that he said, give away your, if he wants the cloak, give him the cloak. But Jesus is saying, if he's saying to that, if he's saying that, don't ask for it back. But that's totally opposite to what it says in the Old Testament, in the Older Testament. And if you turn to 1 Corinthians uh, 6, verse 7, there's another interesting passage there. Um, now, therefore, it's already an utter failure for you to do to go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? He's saying, why go to law about things? And in a sense, that's what's saying. If someone's asking you for uh, your cloak, give him, give him everything. Let him have everything. Show to him that you're not, you're not uh, um, wanting retribution. Why people call this a challenge? These challenging passages is quite obvious to me at this point. So we don't get any answers from that, except. Do we just simply do what Jesus said? Don't charge interest. Don't have that pledge. Don't want it back. If you lend to anybody, don't charge interest. Don't ask for it back. We'll come to that in a minute. Okay, so the next, the third, the, the next one is about the uh, work going another mile. Um, hang on. It would have been much easier with the screen up, I must admit. Okay. okay, verse 41. And when, whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him two. Anyone compels you to go with him one mile, go with him two. Now, they would have known what that meant is in the, in the context of the, the culture they were living. They were under the rule of the Romans and the Romans were legally uh, allowed just to simply say to someone, hey, you carry my load a mile. Um, and uh, you know the story of when Jesus was going to the cross, carrying his cross to Golgotha. Um, Simon was uh, called to carry his cross for him. Um, that's a, a sort of thing. They were allowed to just tell people to legally, they had the right to do that. And Jesus is saying here, well, if someone asks you to go on mile, prove to them how great your, your grace is by saying, okay, I'll go two miles then. Hard, hard stuff. I find this incredibly difficult, very difficult. And perhaps doesn't have um, a meaning in our, our culture like it did there. But certainly the next verse most certainly does. And I would want, I think this is probably one which um, would affect us more, I guess. 
give to him who asks you. And from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Don't expect it back. Luke says the same thing in Luke 6. Lend to your enemies, expecting nothing in return. Crumbs. Amazing. Lend to your enemies. Don't expect it back. And in Proverbs, he who has pity on a poor person lends to the Lord. So there is this kind of a spiritual thing to this. We see them all the time. We saw them one yesterday, Epping, a, a, a young chap sitting there begging. Um, do we give to people? I read Artie Kendall's, um, something he wrote recently um, about when, when they started to do um, work on the streets just around Westminster and were giving to the poor. And apparently they got a great deal of criticism for giving to the poor because um, they used it for, for drink and, and, and drugs. And it makes me wonder, when someone asks you for money, when Jesus said, if you are, someone asks you, give it to him, you don't say, hey, wait a minute, what are you going to give it for? What are you using it for? Do we, do we take that literally and say, Jesus said, give to the poor. Don't ask what they're going to do with it. Um, people, even the, the charities said that people who were working with, with the addicts, apparently, according to Artie Kendall, they said that um, they were using it for drugs and making the situation worse. Why didn't you tell your people not to do that? So when we, when we give, are we asked to, are, are we right to ask what they're going to do with it? Does that what Jesus is saying here? I think personally, it says, give to the poor. He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord. And in Galatians 6, do good to all believers, especially people in the household of faith, it says, do good to all believe, all people, especially to those of the household of faith. It's important not to want the money back. I mean, when we lend money, do we really want it back? Of course we want it back. Um, but Jesus is saying, no. Don't expect it back. Such a hard thing to do. Um, it's interesting, a uh, nice little personal testimony for Lynn and myself. Um, this verse, um, being people being good to those in the household of faith, the reason we live in this part of the world and been here for the last 50 odd years is because a very generous man in the church that we were attending at the time heard that we were finding it very hard to um, get enough money to buy a house here and we were going to go and leave and go have to go somewhere else where property was cheaper and bless him he's dead now but bless him he lent us enough money so that we could buy a house in Epping so that we stayed in Epping and went to Thaden Baptist Church and so on um, and, and since that time I've always felt that we ought to try our best to give of people of the household of faith because of my own personal experience so i don't know i don't feel as if i've really done justice to this difficult passage um it, it in summary it, it sort of says what the kingdom of god is like and i feel that there's no way that we could live consistently with to this passage of scripture without the power of the holy spirit in us 
it, it is almost uh, a, a kind of underlining the fact that without the Spirit of God, how can we do these? It's impossible. I can't possibly live like this. But Jesus is saying, with the Holy Spirit, all things are possible. And perhaps in uh, keeping to the, these three or four little passages, the three or four sentences here, um, we could possibly lead someone to the Lord as a result of our, um, of our attitudes, of, our, of not wanting retribution, of not wanting uh, our money back, of willing to go the extra mile to just show what the kingdom of God is really like. Um, without the Holy Spirit, we can't do that.